Hello, and welcome back to Your Hatch and Bar, a place for your paranormal, supernatural, extraterrestrial, and today, true crime content. Today is your first bonus episode. Once a year, we celebrate St. Valentine by finding four stories dealing with crimes of passion. One out of five murder victims were killed by an intimate partner. Women are more likely to be the victim. If you or somebody you know may be experiencing domestic violence of any kind, help is available. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. With over 200 language interpretations and 24-hour availability, help is out there. With that said, today joining me I have Summer. Hi. Cody X. Stacey. Hey. And the great Brian McCree. It's me. Originally, I wanted to go into this big, long monologue about how painful love can be. Oh, thanks for not. Yeah, dude, I, I was going <laughs> in. Like, you know, good pain, bad pain? Love hurts. Basically, the love hurts thing. <laughs> Did you say back pain? <laughs> the sciatic pain that you get from being in love. Instead, I'm actually going to read lyrics of a song. Oh, oh this God, is damn it, better. dude. <laughs> is not better. <laughs> so much worse. Not just any song, but the end credits to the television show Steven Universe. Oh, boy. Oh, cool. No. That's yes. He, guys, yes, he yes. sent me this through text. He was like, you have to listen to this song. I was like, what is it? He's like, it's a cartoon theme song. And I put it on for, what, 10 seconds? I was like, this is some sad boy shit that he would love. Why don't you love it, too? It's not a good song. Because we're adults. <laughs> yeah, I'm a grown, I'm a grown up, sort of. <laughs> What's it got to do with murder? Okay, just, you know... <laughs> More because of copyright infringement. I'm not going to do the whole song, but I'm going to do the last few stanzas, okay? So fucking deal with it. Sing it for us. Remember back in the day, like every morning we'd wake up and he would listen to uh, like Dashboard and then Boy with a Coin. Oh, God. And like all the stuff every day, brand new. Mm -hmm. And he'd be like, I'm just having, like, I'm just feel down today. Well, because you woke up starting <laughs> your day with this. Of course you feel down. Just an acoustic guitar and a straight razor. I couldn't. I, I, I bought two acoustic guitars. I still couldn't play them. <laughs> you I, play that. You got the stubby so little hard. fingers. You got man, the E chord down. <laughs> no, I, got, I had the C down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gave you too much credit. So anyway, I'm gonna make you and everybody in the room listen to this. If I could begin to do something that does right by you, I would do about anything. I would even learn how to love. When I see the way you look. Shaken by how long it took, I could do about anything. I could even learn how to love like you. Love like you. Love me like you. And with that said, if you're all triggered, if you're at all triggered by <laughs> domestic violence, rape, violence against children, or murder, tune in next week. We're cutting that. I edit this <laughs> podcast. That's getting cut. <laughs> it was something, okay? Trigger warning. I'm about to sing you a song. I want you to do it again, but this time slower. <laughs> that was pretty that was pretty deep for a children's it is heavy program. oh dude steven universe is the best show watch it no <laughs> okay you gotta bring watch it, it. It's, I'm, okay you have it's to bring so your five-year-old over so we have a reason to watch we can't be like creepy disney adults sitting here doing it alone it's too mature for my five-year-old i didn't even make her watch it interesting Jesus Christ. A lot of gender bending. Love it. If you're at all triggered by domestic violence, rape, violence against children, or murder, tune in next week. Today is not your hatch and bar. With that warning, I welcome our first story by Kodiak Stacy, Lonely Hearts. Guys, I want to take you back to 1949, Amsterdam, New York. There's a 66-year-old widow and devout Christian, Janet Fay. She's getting ready to visit her stepdaughter, Mary Fay, in Albany, New York. This is a special occasion. Her husband died, and Mary's father, 
passed away a few years ago, and she's met a new man. She will be introducing her new man, Charles Martin, and his sister Martha to Mary. Now, her and Mary are still very close. She helped raise her. They still talk almost daily or on a weekly basis, and she wants to introduce her new man. Charles is a successful businessman from New York City, and his sister Martha is a nurse. She's traveled with him to spend time with Janet, just so everything's on the up and up, because this is 1949. They make their way to Albany, and everything's going very well over dinner. Mary is initially confused because Charles is only 33 years old, with Janet being 66. It's very odd. Granny love. (laughs) (laughs) But after a while, she becomes very excited that Janet has met such a wonderful Christian man. They discussed many things over that night, but one of the things they discussed was going on vacation and traveling before they get married. You see, Janet and Charles are already engaged. How long have they known each other? Just a few months. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Granny's move fast. Gilfs. A few weeks after this visit, Mary and a few of Janet's friends receive letters from Janet saying how much fun she is having and how wonderful and amazing man Charles is. She says how excited they are that they will soon be married, and she plans on selling her home and moving to Florida with him. That all sounds great. Only one problem. Mary knows Janet very well and knows with 100% certainty that Janet does not know how to type. Her letters oh, are damn. her letters are always handwritten. Oh boy, she doesn't know how to type. This is 1949. You know, it seems easy for us now. We grew up with computers just to pluck and pick letters. But when you're doing a typewriter, you wouldn't know how to install the paper, install the ink. Yep. If you mess up, there would be marks mm-hmm. showing that you made a mistake. And there's none of that. It also seems like a huge red flag anytime you get a personally typed letter from anyone that's not a business or you're not a teacher. It's, that's a red flag. That's a, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> yeah, and you can't teach an old kelp new tricks. <laughs> a little spooky. A little spooky. Hey, it's me, regular friend of yours. <laughs> Hi, you know me very well. <laughs> this is me. I am having a wonderful time. Doing all on purpose and for fun. Typing out all work, or no work and all play, makes Johnny a doll boy. Just typing that over and over again. Janet a doll girl. Is it Janet or Mary? Who Mary. are we talking about? Mary is the stepdaughter. Janet is the The one that we're talking about, yes. Okay. Makes Janet a dull girl. Mary immediately finds it suspicious just as we do, and she takes it to the police, explaining the situation, and files a missing persons report. Damn. That's some escalation, isn't it? You just got a fucking letter and you're going to go right to the police? Well, that, you know, mom's mom's missing. Not only did... She knows she did not type it. It was a whirlwind, fast romance, and the way it was written was not in a Janet sort of fashion, the way she would speak or write to her. Yeah, we all know Janet. She's she's kooky. She's fun. Was it like this uh, this letter was very serious? Something like howdy dame or something like that. (laughs) Did he get all weird in twenties with it? Or uh, just the way it was written was just very vague and saying how she would be hard to reach, but she's having so much fun and you know, all of this. But and, I, and I will reach out to you soon. And definitely not dead. I'm not yeah. dead. I'm definitely not definitely alive. I'm definitely in Florida. Yeah, alive yeah. in Florida. <laughs> Soon to be in Florida, right? Soon to be in Florida. At this same time in 1949, in Byron Center Road, which is a suburb of Grand Rapids, Michigan, a very similar thing is starting to occur. We have a young war widow named Delphi Delphine Downing, who was 28 years old, a shitty name. Yeah. <laughs> this is bad parenting. Delphine, Delphine Downing. They want that double D. <laughs> who has a three-year-old daughter, Raynell. Oh, God. Yeah. This is I domestic- thought Delphine was bad. <laughs> Raynell? Take the kids Raynell. away. Take yes. the kids away. Like Caucasian Raynell? That's Raynell. It's the yes. 40s. It's the 40s. 1949. Raynods. Fucking... <laughs> They just pick up a handful of letters and drop them? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But she's starting to have a visitor as well. That's 14 points in Scrabble, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> the neighbors are noticing a tall, dark, handsome man with a head full of flowing black hair starting to come around, along with his sister. Used to be named Charlie, right? Yeah. Is Charles Martin. <laughs> Not used to be, is. Charlie. Charlie. Didn't even switch up the name. The neighbors are thrilled for her, as they known her for quite a while since her husband passed away in the war, and they know her daughter very well as well. She's had these guests over for several weeks, and they even meet some of the neighbors. A few days pass, and the neighbors start to worry, as they have not seen Delphine or Raynell in over a week, and they reach out to the police. Back in 1949, neighbors were neighbors, man. They were looking out for you. They knew you. If I didn't see my neighbor, if I saw my neighbor every day for a week, I'd be concerned. I, Even yeah, outside. I, well, because it was the, everything was smaller back then. I think your barber was your fucking doctor, right? So <laughs> probably <laughs> it's just you knew everybody. He fixes your, your barber, car. Yeah. He can fix your cat <laughs> and your teeth. Yeah, I was gonna say dentist. Yeah, let's get those ghosts out of your blood. I will be late for work if my neighbor's outside. <laughs> I will wait for them to leave. <laughs> the police find it very strange as well because everyone's very worried. This new guy's coming around. What's happening? And so his hair de- was so nice. So they decide to stake out the house. And around midnight, a car pulls up with a man and woman inside. It's Charles, but it's not Delphine. It's his sister, Martha. The police approach him and ask him if he has any idea where Delphine and Raynell are. Charles quickly answers, Delphine took the baby to Detroit to see some friends and she'll be home in the next few days. Don't worry about it. This bitch has got some friends in Detroit. Where are we at now? Grand Rapids. Uh, now she don't. She don't know nobody in Detroit. <laughs> right. In the 1940s, Detroit was nice, though. Yeah, okay. I can yeah, see that. Maybe. The police then notice that their car is fully packed, as if they do not plan on coming back, and decide to check the car and the house, which is also packed and boxed up. After reaching the basement, they come across fresh concrete, and they dig it up, where they find the bodies of Delphine and Raynell. So the police did this, right? Yes. They just go in the house and look at that fresh concrete <laughs> on the ground. Like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was all unleveled and shit. They immediately go upstairs to <laughs> confront Charles. Did a really bad job. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> it was like, it's all wet and still lumpy. Like, they didn't even flatten out. That's what I'm picturing in my head. They go upstairs to immediately confront Charles and Martha. The police pat him down. And they pull out a list of 17 different women's names and $4,000 in cash. And four bags of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really big trench coat he had on. So $4,000 in cash in 1949, that's a lot of money now. Yeah. Like, if you had $4,000 on you, you'd be like, why? Yeah. Then, that's like $50,000. Wow. Skipping town kind of money. Mm-hmm. You see, Delphine sold her house for and gave the money to her new fiancé for fa- safekeeping. Oh, boy. When they confront them, they immediately confess everything. I found two different quotes from Charles, so I'm not sure which one he actually said. One was, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> what a bad criminal. Well, wait. The other one The other one is worse. He says, you got me dead to rights. So he just confesses right on the spot, right? On the spot. He just has a list of names. I feel like he worked on that line before they caught him. Like, he had his clothes. Ah, you got me, coppers. Hey, you got me, see? <laughs> <laughs> I want to point out that it took Midwestern police to catch these these criminals. New York police couldn't do it. California police couldn't do it. Texas, everywhere he's Midwest, been. Midwest, what, what? I mean, in their def- in everybody else's defense, he had a like a big wad of money and a list of names and a packed car full of like blood and concrete, right? Yeah, and pavers. He just had like dry concrete and blood all over his clothes as he was loading up this car. Work jeans. <laughs> <laughs> but Charles, see, is not his. Real name. No! His real name is Raymond Martinez Fernandez. Oh, he's oh. Mexican. Spanish, yes. <laughs> yes. And 
He's one Martha, of the Mexicans. And Martha is not his sister. It's his girlfriend. Oh. oh. Plot thickens, right? Mm. But the plot thickens even more because she's not just his girlfriend. She's actually a victim of his. What? what? He met her on the Lonely Hearts Club, the same place he met Delphine and Janet. Fucking Tinder. Basically, but mm-hmm. waste. You know, you thought Tinder was scary and not safe for women. This is way worse. Well, you yeah. put out an ad in the newspaper saying how lonely you are, like a personal ad, and then someone would just start writing you. And then apparently this guy is so smooth <laughs> that he can convince you to become his fiance in like a month. Well, maybe the ad she posted was just the word wet. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Good enough. Do, you didn't or, have to do a lot of work. Or yeah. extremely lonely hearted. Exactly. Like, I... <laughs> anyone, please. Is yeah, anyone out for there? Real. Martha was actually a victim of his and he was conning her the same way. Wow. But once he realized that she didn't have any money, he wrote her a letter saying that he was going to come back, propose to her, and then he just left. Damn, bitch, you ain't got no money. (laughs) (laughs) See, Martha's a big girl. This is something they talk about in the trial for them a lot in all the newspapers. They talk about her. They call her large, obese, grotesque. Hulking. What? I love yes. how they go out of their way. Yeah. yeah what the fuck? Yeah. This, Martha, ugly bitch. <laughs> this man was murdering women. Then all I've heard is how handsome he was and how great his hair was. And now all I've heard about her is how large and ugly she is. In during the trial, they were confused of how someone this grotesque and ugly could convince him to do these things. <laughs> so they blamed her? Yeah, they tried to, yeah. Oh. That's one thing I wouldn't mind redoing this story sometime because there's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. And just the effect that just the media has on her appearance and how they focus so hardly on it and how it affected her entire life. She had a glandular disease where her hormones were out of whack and they sort of, she developed at a very young age. At the age of 10, she already had the body of a full grown woman. At the age of 10? Yes. She had the body of a full grown man? Woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. That was the age of 40. So yeah. Yeah, the yeah, body yeah. of a full grown man. So, to the point where her older brother actually raped her. Oh. Damn. Yes. What in the fuck? So, man? she had a very messed up life. But after he takes off on her, she tracks him down. <laughs> well, hold on. After who takes off? After Raymond takes off on Martha, he is tracked oh. down by her. She goes to New York and finds him. Remember she she tried said, to ab- No, you're with me. He tried to abandon her broke ass. And, and Raymond just assumes every hawking, ugly person has money, right? He just assumes anyone that puts out these ads, he vets them to see if they have money. He listens to the story. Oh, I'm a war widow. That's, so they, yeah. she is, they assume there's money Because that's what there. I was thinking. It's probably the context because most of these war vets were getting pensions, I would imagine. So bitch didn't have money. But mm-hmm. Martha's like, uh-uh. No. She tracks him down. Yeah, I love her. I and love her. I can do a whole episode of Martha. Well, she gets to New York and he tells her everything. I scam people. This is what I do. And instead of going, what the fuck, and getting mad, she goes, Okay, I'll help you. Oh, well, she put him in an arm bar. (laughs) (laughs) See, Martha has two children. Raymond tells her, I don't do kids. Kids are a liability. Get rid of them and you can come with me. So she does. Damn. She takes them to the Salvation Army, drops them off to never see them again. Can you still do that? I, think, I don't know. You I thinking think, about it? <laughs> technically, you can leave a kid anywhere. I just don't I know. Think if it's more ex- like the like the fire department. You leave him with the fire department. The, f- the fire department. That <laughs> so I do know that's I have the number in my wallet. You can leave a child at the fire department. Well, maybe she thought the Salvation Army was like a real army, and she just was confused by it. No. <laughs> Birth control <laughs> options are available. If you're listening to this. Now they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend back then. Let's go back to the police talking to Charles or Raymond and Martha. Charles confessed to killing multiple women 
I saw a report that said it was up to 10, one said it was seven, one said it was six. But as far as Martha is concerned, he only killed three. Let's start with Delphine. Delphine had noticed Charles was wearing a different wig one day and became really upset. Part of his persona was him having long, flowing, black, beautiful hair. Oh, the hair was a lie. But it was a wig. He actually was balding, and he had a big scar on his head where it almost dented in his skull, and he had a skull fracture from it, and the hair didn't grow there. Damn. So she thought to herself, what else could you be lying about? She got very upset because, you see, she already sold her house was getting ready to move to California with him. Martha, (laughs) to calm her down, says, here, take some of these sleeping pills. You'll relax. We'll talk about it in the morning. She gives her way too much. She passes out. Raymond decides this is a liability. They already have the money. He shoots her in the head with her dead husband's gun. Jesus Damn. Christ! He just shoots her in the head with they the bi- dead husband's gun. Get <laughs> they dig up the basement, the flooring in the basement, and bury her. Trust me, it wasn't hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they take the child Raynell to the movies. They take her around. They're trying to calm her down, but she won't stop crying. She's very upset. Like you know, obviously, sure. Like her mom got shot in the head. Yeah. Babies. So one day Raymond says, "You know what? I'm done with this. Martha, deal with her." While they were burying Delphine. They bailed up some groundwater. Martha used that water to drown the three-year-old child. Holy fuck, Martha. And, and buried her next to her mother. You just wasted all that water, too. You so many ways to kill a person. <laughs> that seems like more work than it needs to be. I, it's very brutal. They also admit to the murder of Janet Fay in New York, stating that they buried her at the basement of the home, which was sold as well. One day, Martha comes into the living room, and she sees Janet laying on the couch. One report said it was in lingerie. Another one said naked. She is ready to seduce who she thinks is Charles or Raymond, and Martha gets very upset. She grabs a hammer and bashes her head in with it. Now, she's laying in a pool of her own blood, Charles says, and he didn't know what to do. One report says it was a necktie. Another said it was a scarf. He chokes her to death on the ground, and they bury her in the basement. This was the gulf, right? Yes. And then they sell the house? And they sold the house. Imagine purchasing a home and then finding out that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you walk into the basement and see the grandma lightly covered in concrete over in the corner, <laughs> that's your giveaway. Yeah. They confessed to all these murders immediately because Michigan in 1949 did not have the death penalty and they didn't want to be extradited back to New York because New York does have the death penalty. Michigan officers and officials get a hold of New York officials And New York officials convinced them to drop the charges in Michigan so they can be sent back to New York and await trial. And they do. And they send them back to New York where the trial starts, which we kind of talked about and how it goes. Uh, There's a lot more to it. They are both executed on March 8th, 1951. I really thought you were going to say they executed her and let him no. go. That's no. what I thought this was going to end. <laughs> like, and he had a successful career in finance. Well, <laughs> first degree, fucking hideous. I read Execution. a lot more into this. And ab- he was actually J.P. Morgan. About how he was not, when he was in prison, he made some friends in there. And I guess a rule in New York prison is you can't cry. A few of them were executed and he cried. So the officers beat the shit out of him. And then they decided, you know what? You know what you deserve? For now on, Apparently, the way they would kill people sometimes, they would have soldiers go out, dig a trench, shoot them all in the back of the head at one time, and just bury them in the ground. Oh, Nazi shit. Good. Effective. Yeah. So, he was put on duty to dig the holes. He would stand in front of them and watch each one of them be shot individually, and then he would bury them. That's pretty funny. That was his punishment until he was killed. fucked up. (laughs) He said that he would die like a man and he would not cry. He cried. Well, yeah. Martha, on the other hand, did not cry. (laughs) Like a man. <laughs> like a man. See, she, on the way to the electric chair, said what she did was for love, and she loved Raymond. Aww. Think of all the history and the crimes committed in the world and what 
people have done for love and what people will continue to do, to do for love. And one of the reports I read said she looked at the person who was getting ready to electrocute her as they're putting everything on him on her and said, I'll see you around. I love Martha. I thought you were going to say and she said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story of the Lonely Heart Killers. She seems like a psychopath. Wow, man. I, I like her. Martha's, I mean, I'm, I'm digging the, the, the visuals. There's um, a lot more to it. Her, for example, the reason she was so messed up, she was raped twice by her brother. She went to senior prom. Her mother made her go, escorted by said brother, even oof. though the brother knew, she knew because the brother got her pregnant, she had to have an abortion. She, her first child she had with a naval officer in California. And once he found out that she was pregnant, he tried to kill himself instead of being with her. Well, he, he didn't know that it was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was tough to be gay back then, so it's and then fair. She goes to Florida, gets pregnant again by a truck driver who does the right thing and says, you know what, I'll marry you. After spending like three months there, he's like, I can't do this anymore, and leaves her. <laughs> and that's when she meets Charles slash Raymond shortly after that. And she was actually put in the Lonely Hearts Club. She was a nurse. They put her in the Lonely they put Hearts Club. As, as, as a joke to show that no one would love her or take her up on it. God damn. That's what led to it. She had a very fucked up life. People were not kind to her. And uh, there's a lot more to go into this story. That would make and anybody she, a psychopath. Well, there's though. one quote from and Charles where he says, uh, largest hands he's ever seen in a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just harsh, man. Yeah. Some say that you can still hear him crying. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the clap of her hands from the woods. Okay, so there's our first story. We got one out of the way. If that didn't do it for you, the Black Widow Granny will. Take it away, Summer. All right, so I'm going to talk to you about the Black Widow Granny. Disclaimer, I did, I, did, I did some research, but it's internet research. Take it for what it is. Fair enough. Haters. <laughs> <laughs> this one goes out just to the haters. This one goes out just to the haters. <laughs> I'm be talking to you about Betty Lafon Newmar. Betty was born in November 27th, 1931 in Ireton, Ohio, to Otis and Elizabeth Walden Johnson. She had a high school education from South Point High School in 1949, and then she soon married her high school sweetheart, Clarence Gary Malone, in 1950. This relationship was short-lived. Uh, Betty claimed that her husband was abusive, so they separated the following year, and they had one son Gary together who was born three months after the couple had already separated. He said, my name's Clarence, but I go by Gary. I'm going to name my kid Gary because I like that <laughs> well, name better. Well, it's so weird because in my research, some of it said Clarence and others said Gary, and then the son's name was Gary, so I was getting really confused. That is confusing. And he lets his hands do the talking. Yeah. <laughs> well, his name's Clarence, so of course. Betty remarried very shortly after her first husband, this time to a man named James Flynn. He actually adopted Gary, but there is no public record of their marriage. They did have a daughter together named Peggy. Their marriage was too cut short, but this time ending in death. Oh. Betty had claimed that James died somewhere in New York in 1950 told investigators he died on a pier and froze to death in his car. Betty then moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where she went by the name Betty Flynn. She worked as a beautician. Now in her 30s, she met and married Richard Sills. Okay, Summer, so how many marriages are we at now? We are at three. Wait, in three. her 30s? Mm -hmm. God damn, must have been easy to get married back today. What does she look like? She she was attractive, but man, she married these men quickly. Like she would meet them 
and then a month later get married to them. And so far they're all alive at this point, right? One, no, one, no, yeah, one of them's dead. The last one, of them, one, died. one of them died in New York. And the first one had, he was too handsy, so they had yeah, to leave that's him. good old Clarence. Right. And the second one died. We'll get back to that one. He didn't but care the what that gorilla died. grip was like. He was like, whap, whap, whap. <laughs> Well, the theme is a, a lot of these men are also alcoholics, too. Uh, oh, yeah. you don't say. In the 1930s? Yeah. yeah. This one's in the this 50s, 50s, right? Yeah, same 50s. fucking thing. <laughs> it's all the same until the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> they don't stop hitting women until like 78. Well, they didn't even invent black people until the 70s. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> all right. So she met and married Richard Sills. Sills was a recently divorced man. He was in the Navy. And he had no contact with his wife or son. I'm assuming Betty liked that. Probably. I would. Yep. <laughs> so Betty claimed that he was an alcoholic. And in 1965, according to her daughter Peggy, now 11, the couple was arguing in their trailer in Big Coppet Key in Florida. And then moments later, Peggy heard gunshots coming from her parents' room. Uh-oh. Betty told law officers that the couple had been arguing and Richard was intoxicated and shot himself. The death was ruled hmm. a suicide and all records of Richard's death were destroyed before <laughs> investigators had reopened the case. They reopened the case later. Is it suicide by three gunshots to his own head? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, man, being oh, a wait, Oh, it gets to it. Oh, it gets okay. worse. Oh, being gets a cop worse. was so easy back then. I can't then. believe he shot himself. No, in the back three times. Being a cop back then was impossible. <laughs> Case closed. Obvious suicide. It's like, it like, well, she said it was a suicide, so <laughs> <laughs> clearly a woman couldn't kill them. That's a lot of them actually yeah. thought that. No, for sure, a dame. Yeah. yeah so the the death was ruled a suicide, and all of Richard's records were destroyed before the investigators had a chance to reopen the case. Most of the investigation was conducted by the NCIS, just because he was part of the Navy. There were discrepancies between the two agencies. There was no autopsy conducted, but the Florida medical examiner said that there was a single gunshot wound to the chest but NCIS found there was two wounds one <laughs> shot to the chest and one in the heart oh he missed the first time okay uh-huh. that's fair yeah isn't that so weird? he shot himself in the chest he took the gun turned it around so mm-hmm. yep if you're going to shoot and kill yourself, why do it in the chest? Heck, cops are so bad at this. Uh-huh. He's just a Absolutely. sentimental guy. So was it a pistol or a rifle? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I'm assuming it was a pistol. It was a gun. She said it was a gun. It was, a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a gun. <laughs> Shot with a gun. The yeah. go. Betty never informed Richard's son or ex-wife of his death. It nice. was actually the Navy that, <laughs> you know, knocked on their door and was like, hey, they're dead. And she's like, oh, I was just, I've been busy. I was going to get around to telling you. Not suspicious at oh, all. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And oh this will be a God. theme. This will be a theme with this lady. So oh. three years later, in 1967, she met Harold Gentry. Harold in the army was stationed in Florida while Betty was working as a hairdresser. The couple married in January. That's close to home right now. <laughs> exactly. She's trying to tell you something uh, here. She's a hairdresser. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting worried. How many men have to get murdered in this story if you take the hit, Cody? <laughs> yeah, <for> real. <laughs> How tall is this woman, Summer? <laughs> what was her hair color? Gray. Because she's a granny. Three years later, in 1967, she met Harold Gentry. Harold, in the army, was stationed in Florida while Betty was working as a hairdresser. The couple married in January 1968 and had a daughter, Kelly, a year later. The couple moved around a lot, and after 21 years of service, Harold decided to retire. They ended up in Harold's hometown of Norwood, North Carolina. On November 27th of 1970, Betty finds out that her first husband had died while working in his car repair shop and was shot in a random drive-by in Ohio. <laughs> a I'm random just, drive-by. Yeah, I'm just picturing oh, Granny going by. by. Yeah. <laughs> Silver Buick, 
gun out the window. Bat, 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 bat. It's like small dog on her lap. Yeah. A fucking drive. Was it the first drive by ever? No one was ever suspected or arrested in the murder. It's That's a- the craziest part. He was just in a drive by shooting. They're like, eh, well, he's dead. People die every day. People die every day. <laughs> Cops. <laughs> another, another suicide. It's like, so were they there? No. Well, <laughs> call so us weird. if he comes back. Yeah. Harold and Betty seem to have a normal, loving relationship for many years, but according to Harold's brother, Al, that was not the case. Hmm. He claimed that the couple separated sometime in 1986 and that Betty had gone to live in Florida for a few months. Harold met another woman. Al also stated that Harold told Betty that he would be out of the house for two weeks and then they could start the divorce process. Get them papers. Well, less than two weeks later, Harold had been shot six times as he'd entered his home. What a tragedy. (laughs) Another suicide. That's crazy. (laughs) No, investigators believed that he had stumbled upon a robbery gone wrong. It's probably that same guy that did the drive-by. He's just driving around. Like, these investigators are so fucking They're dumb. closing fucking cases, man. These yeah. guys get results. Yeah. It's like, definitely, that's what happens. Like, <laughs> he got shot six times coming into his own home. <laughs> Nothing's taken from the house. The door's no, still was. locked. No, it was. Okay. So the house was ransacked. That's why they thought that it was a robbery gone wrong. Um, okay. What bullet killed him? Did, was she just shooting poorly? Well, she was shooting from nah, the car. she hit him six yeah. times. I mean, then you get shot six times anywhere, you're probably going to die unless you're 50 cent. There's more. There's more. Well, if she's using a handgun, there's only six shots, so she's pretty good. So Betty's brother-in-law believed that Betty hired someone to kill Harold. Al had to identify the body of his brother. Betty was conveniently three hours away in Augusta, Georgia. Al stated he knew Betty was involved somehow because when she arrived to the scene, seemingly unfazed, she claimed she had nothing to do with the murder because she was in Augusta. <laughs> and then she hid the gun behind her back and was like, oh, no, that's a different gun. There was no evidence or suspects again in Harold's murder. So wow. the case went cold. After Harold, Betty, now in her 50s, moved to Augusta, Georgia. She opened up her own salon, continued doing hair. And in 1985, her first child, Gary, committed suicide. Gary's <clears throat> wife, Cecilia, claimed that Betty was not a nice person and that Betty received Gary's $10,000 life's insurance policy, not the wife. She killed the kid, too, didn't she? It's so weird. Like, why would you take your child's life insurance policy and not give it to the wife? That's just... This this lady is surrounded by death, and at what point is this not just a coincidence? Just a lot of suicides, man. It's hard in these times. Well, they say that she's either one of the greatest serial killers ever, or she's just super unlucky. <laughs> no, not, but not unlucky. She's collecting. A, she's collecting a lot of life insurance. It, it, I'll get to that as well. She also claimed that Gary witnessed Richard Sill's death, and it deeply traumatized him. So I think that's correlation to the suicide. Mm-hmm. In 1990, Betty had met John Newmar in her salon. He was a recently widowed with two grown children and, to everyone's surprise, married a year later. Mm. After they married in 1991, John's children said that they began noticing changes in his fa- their father. Once loving and outgoing, now cold and distant. I was picturing like bullet holes appearing in his body. <laughs> this lady's a succubus is what it is. No, absolutely. She's fucking crazy. Like Everyone is fine. They meet her and then they become very angry and sad and mm-hmm. depressed oh, and then absolutely. they fucking die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so, she's just a big downer. She's yeah. not a murderer. Yeah, just, yeah, for real. Super pessimistic. A fucking energy vampire. <laughs> no, she's fucking crazy. Things get a little rocky in their relationship in 1995 when Betty had convinced John's son to invest $1,000 in a Ponzi scheme. 
Oh, boy. She also convinced 200 others to invest, <laughs> saying that they would receive $100,000 for every $100 that they invest. That's the first MLM. Is it, is right? it essential living? Whatever yes. young so essential. Yes. It's so bad. <laughs> the money was funding legal expenses for a wealthy European family that died without an heir. What this the is the first Nigerian yes. prince. <laughs> <laughs> it, is. it really fucking is. It really is. Oh my it's God. really bad. Daddy, right. And the money would be distributed to everyone who sponsored these European lawyers. <laughs> it was clearly a scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one really knows how Betty got involved. Later, seven people were arrested in connection with this Ponzi scheme. The couple needed to file for bankruptcy in 2000 with over $200,000 in credit card debt. Damn. After a decade of marriage. They had $200,000 in credit card debt, but they st- they had... Well over two hundred thousand dollars that they scammed out of these people, right? She oh, did at least. She did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why did you need another two hundred thousand well, dollars in nineteen ninety? That means yeah, because what was she buying? Yeah, because <laughs> or she was just sitting on the money while he went into debt. Well, here's cause... the thing. Here's the thing. Before his marriage to Betty, John was always good with his money. He told his kids to never live beyond their means. Like he was, he knew what to do. Hmm. He owned his own home outright. He had a healthy retirement. No one knows how they ended up with so much debt. They were not spending any money on themselves. They didn't have any like new nice things. It just seemingly so maybe disappeared. She, maybe she really was sending the money overseas. She was trying to do a good thing, guys. Well, she got scammed. Was, yeah, she got scammed. It was someone above her. Well, it was the Al prince. Gore. The prince of Wakanda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, scammed her out of her money. In 2007, John fell ill. He was diagnosed with sepsis and deteriorated very quickly, so much so that his kids didn't even know that he was sick. When he passed, soon after, at the age of 66, Betty did not tell, again, (laughs) any of her husband's children or anybody that he passed. Let me guess, she just left and went to Florida. John's son was at work and saw his father's obituary in the newspaper. Wow. Wow. How is none of this suspicious? Oh, it all is. It all is. The only one that seems to care is the brother-in-law. The brother-in-law is the only consistent person Al, in right? the story. Yeah. Well, so Al is on it. He's he's doing his own detective work. Al right. is the only one that cares. And Al is from a previous marriage, Al right? Is, brother-in-law from yes. a previous marriage. Yep. Al is um, from Harold. Yeah, from Harold. Yep. Yeah. So is he like? Well, he's next in line to get married and die. I think. Oh, well. It's so weird. He's like the detective in uh, Halloween chasing Michael Myers, just running around the country <laughs> looking at Betty. Like, <laughs> his son also found out that his father was cremated. This shocked the family. They were Catholic. Never, wow. he never intended on being cremated, and he already had a plot next to his first wife that passed away. The family went to police and learned that John's cause of death was determined to be natural causes, <laughs> and no autopsy was performed. Just natural causes, seven natural gunshot causes. wounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he died naturally from being shot. Well, he had a heart. Times. He had a heart attack after he got shot. So yeah. it's natural cause. Yeah, it's it's so like weird. when you die from COVID. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> Different stats. He was fine until he wasn't fine, and then he died. Right. In 2007, Betty's ex-brother-in-law, Al, successfully got his brother's cold case reopened in North Carolina. And law enforcement agencies reached out to Georgia authorities and had both Harold and John's deaths re-examined. A search warrant was issued, and detectives searched Betty's home. Authorities found several varieties of poison during their search, including arsenic-based rat poisons and highly poisonous substance Ooh. called carbon 
tetrachloride. Tetrachloride. I literally was reading that yesterday and I was like, I know how to say it. (laughs) (laughs) The bottle they found was empty, completely empty. And exposure to that chemical could cause liver and kidney failure, gastrointestinal and neurological symptoms similar to what John was experiencing before his death. Hmm. Huh. So she didn't even hide. She didn't get rid of it afterwards. No. She just had all these bottles just laying around and one of them was fully empty. How else is she going to know to get more if she throws the bottle away, you know? It has worked every single time before. She's yeah. literally done nothing to hide her footsteps. <laughs> no, not well, at all. The police have gotten better from 1951 to, to 2007. 2007. Yeah. So, hey, progress, guys. Throw America's bo- getting better. Throw the bottle away. John's cremated remains were examined. What? But it was inconclusive due to medications <laughs> that he was on prior. Because it was fucking ashes. You can ashes. do that? Yes, yeah. you can. Yeah. No. Yeah. They like checked for like metals in his ashes and they found it, but it was also connected with the medications he was on prior. Wait, so it really was that's weird. The incineration doesn't get rid of that? Listen, I don't know. That's weird. And, and just anything else that was in the incinerator, do they scorch that thing down every time? Is it squeaky clean? Listen, I don't know. I don't know. Do they, just, do they just, just burn a bunch of people at once? What if they do that? They burn a bunch of people at one time? That's what I would do. That seems more efficient. <laughs> if we were Nazis, that's yeah. how we would do it. Yes. <laughs> So Betty was arrested in May 2008 and charged with solicitation to commit first-degree murder. According to her indictment, officers found evidence that she showed that she had attempted to hire three different people to carry out the murder of her husband, Harold Gentry. She was 67 at the time of her arrest and was initially held on $500,000 bond. Officers believe that Betty likely learned early on that death was easier than divorce. (laughs) Money could have been the motive as well, although she did not receive much insurance money after the death of her husband's. In an interview, as a response to being accused for murdering for insurance money, she'd stated, I got no insurance from the first one, no insurance from the third one. After Harold died, I got $50,000. But as far as money and stuff goes, there wasn't none. She has an accent, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's how she. That's how it was. Oh, written I can out. hear it. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it was written. Out. I got no insurance money. Betty was in jail for several months and later was released on thirty thousand dollar bond. Betty's two daughters believed their mother was innocent. They think that she's wholeheartedly the sweetest mom they've ever had. Oh, the only mom they've ever had. Yeah. And the only. <laughs> Hmm. Before so Betty, in comparison, yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, stepmoms, though. A couple yeah. of them had, probably of them were divorced. Didn't most of those guys die, though? So I don't know about these <laughs> stepmoms true. they got. That's true. Before Betty received a trial date, she died of cancer in 2011 oh. at the age of 79. After her death, the states involved just closed their cases. They were done. <laughs> Officers were hoping for a deathbed confession, but were only left with uh, mystery. Oh. Okay. Betty may have been one of the luckiest serial killers or a very unlucky wife. Al, the ex-brother-in-law, fought for justice until his death in 2013. Damn. I wonder if he went to the funeral. Do you think? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I guess if someone like that has to die, at least it was slow and painful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because that lady... Got away with murder. So from, much murder from 1950. <laughs> Allegedly, no. Allegedly, no. People, she definitely did. People it. killed she themselves. Definitely guys, did. I Don't believe it was all except for the last one, a murder for hire thing. Like she definitely was hiring people to shoot. What was her body count? I didn't. I have so many. Five. Five. Wow. She got married five times. Wonder, yeah, to be a woman, right? Yeah, so easy cool. to get married. <laughs> you think she was still wearing white? She <laughs> scooped those motherfuckers up quickly, too. Like, she yeah. would date them and then be married to them within a year. 
Hairdressers are crazy. You heard it here first. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. For sure. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you're ready for a palate cleanser, I'm up next, guys, with my story, Hooked on a Feeling. Aw. Hooked on a feeling. The sex slave murderers. Ooh, oh, that took well. a change. <laughs> Take all that back. So when Gerald and his wife Charlene got that feeling, they'd like to go for a ride in their van. Gerald's feeling was insatiable. He would pout and push angrily until he had his fill. Charlene took on his feeling and knew how to satisfy it. She I would... hate those. <laughs> <laughs> the way he's looking as he's doing it is what's making it rough. He's this. trying to make it sensual and sexy. And it's, just... It. it's just his big lips, guys. All right? I hate it. <laughs> Charlene would walk mall wings, dressed and impersonating as a teenager. She would go on fairgrounds, looking into the masses for someone young and beautiful. Mm-hmm. She got that feeling when she found the right one. With promises of drugs, work, or good times, she would find her victim, she would lure them away from safety, and she'd walk them right into a monster, into hell itself. Key into lock, the van's back door would open, and inside Gerald, he would be waiting with his insatiable feeling. Gerald, man by many names, he is he, known... He's clearly got an itch that Yeah, what is this insatiable feeling? What is this? Uh, he's hooked on it. Yeah. yeah, he's hooked on this feeling. Mm. Is it hooks? Does he hook people? Is he putting hooks and skins? I, we're getting to it. He said it too many times. It's sex slaves. Spoiler so alert. It's going to be all it. the bad. Yeah. Continue. Jail Gallego, or Stephen File, or Stephen Styles, was just some of his names. He's the product of a sex worker. And his father, who is the first man to ever be executed in a Mississippi gas chamber. Oh, it's like a Disney movie. He had a rap sheet that could match a lifetime of a career criminal by the age of 14. It included robbery, assaults. He had actually 23 arrests by the time he turned 14, including the lewd and lascivious acts against a six-year-old child, all by the age of 14. Mm. Mm. Don't like it. A sicko. He seems like a nice guy. Look down you, a feeling. You meet a guy named Steven Stiles. <laughs> What's the name of that that song you read us to a Steven Universe? Steven Universe, yeah. Oh, I see now. Yeah. Hmm. Steven. Hmm. I never trusted anyone named Steven. No. Mm-hmm. SS. And just like the worst version of Avril Lavigne Skater Boy, oh, Gerald God. meets Charlotte. Damn it! <laughs> it's going to be songs over and over again. <laughs> I hate this. Brian, you go. <laughs> Gerald will meet Charlene at a Sacramento poker club in 1977. Charlene, opposite to Gerald, was raised right and proper. As her parents' only child, Charlene was exceptional at the violin, and by all rights had mommy's and daddy's money at her disposal. But sometimes she got that feeling. So we have a a well-off suburbia woman with a straight-up hood degenerate. Shit, dude. It's classic <laughs> lady in the tramp here. So. Yeah. But he was kind of handsome. I saw pictures. They were actually both pretty attractive. Okay. Um, tall dude. He was a bartender. He kind of that kind of guy, right? Mm. By the time Charlene was 20 years old, she preferred drugs, alcohol, and kind of quit all that prim and proper stuff. Hell yeah. She's a partier now. And when she met Gerald, it was a match made in heaven. He's been married five times already. Uh, She has been married twice. How old is he by this point? That's what I was just thinking. He is 27. Five times? Oh, my God. And she was married twice. Did they not learn You thought my lady was bad. That was five times over the course of several years. They didn't learn their lessons? I mean, okay, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) It was love at first sight, guys. No, he's murdering people. Has to be. Keep going. Love, mysterious. Gerald had that feeling all the time when he met Charlene. She, too, had that feeling and wanted to please her Jerry. Charlene loved his machismo and loved his fantasies. Gerald loved rough sex. Loved the feeling of power. He loved dominating. Charlene loved Gerald. They had a healthy sex life. That is... No. (laughs) Did they? (laughs) No. (laughs) That is until Gerald couldn't get it up anymore. Oh. No, you can't take the power from the man. 
he lost that feeling. They got pills for that. This them. episode is brought to you by Hims. <laughs> Viagra now comes in a generic version. It's much cheaper. <laughs> Please pay us. Charlene mourned for her lover. He was so sad. He was so upset. Why wasn't she enough? She's mourning his cock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their whole relationship is based off basically... Them partying, him beating her ass, and rough sex. Hell yeah. Was he beating her ass w- during sex? Because maybe... You know, oh yeah. Oh yeah. He mm. was, she liked that. She maybe. definitely liked being dominated. But yeah. maybe not when there was not sex involved. Maybe don't beat her up then. That's not a good time to beat people up. Right. <laughs> That's why I always said, if I ever got in a fight, we have to have sex. <laughs> or stop having sex, you know. Yeah. One or the other. Drop the charges. All right. Gerald had secrets and desires. He wanted more than what she had to offer. And he wanted it to be younger. And he had to control every aspect of it. Hoping that a threesome would help the situation. Never did. Charlene does. agreed to spicing things up with a 16-year-old girl. Oh, oh help healthy. Yeah. <laughs> who happened That's to be really a good. Who happened to be a runaway that Gerald found. Oh, cool. Good. Even healthier. They're helping out, actually. That was the ticket. That was it. That was uh, he got it up. Um, it was all great until he found Charlene in bed with her without him. Bitch. This devastated Gerald. Not only could he not perform anymore, but he was also repulsed by the idea of Charlene having sexual pleasure without him. What year is this? This is 1978. Wow. The That's, year of love. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that never, that season of Californication. Remember that? <laughs> Anyways, those who watch that show, keep going. It's actually what this is from. Yeah. <laughs> The very idea that she wasn't totally dependent on him for sexual gratification ate away at Gerald. For what she had done to his ego, Gerald decided to withhold any compassion or kindness towards Charlene. He took away from her what she cherished the most, his validation. But eventually, she knew how to make it up to him. See, Gerald had a 14-year-old daughter that he let his mother raise, and occasionally they would see each other. And this was from his previous marriage, actually his first marriage. She was a poor soul who never really had a chance. I mean, she knew how her dad felt about her, and Charlene knew how Gerald felt about her, and she allowed the unspeakable to happen during a visit. That was just the beginning. Gerald had a problem, and when he had a problem, Charlene would have a problem, and Gerald knew how to fix it. Rape and murdering children. This That's said, the ticket. Do you need a palate cleanser after that? And he's like, <laughs> this is the worst story. It's disturbing. It's pretty good. No. This is awful, man. The daughter would turn her dad in, which meant they had to change their names and move to a different state. It, it only meant that he had a warrant for his arrest. Okay. He was never arrested. Gerald, though, I mean, they, they knew the solution, guys, that we have to rape. Children. This is it. This is how we keep our relationship good. Problem solving, communication. Everybody has a love language. Exactly. And children are his. Sometimes you use their toothbrush. You listen to their music. You murder a kid or two. Compromise. Gerald, the worst thing you said there was use their toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that that's what you stuck on. This is right. You're my friend. Don't use my toothbrush. No. (laughs) Gerald would groom Charlene. He would train her to be the best at tricking children and leading them into his van. He would dress her up like a child. He would oh. give her bait. Oh. And she would walk little girls right into the mouth of the beast. She would Was lie. the bait a lollipop? Mostly cocaine. Oh, oh okay. So kind of. Kind of like that. So they would drive around and they would scope these, you know, like basically a 13-year-old by herself or a 13 or 14-year-old hanging out in a mall somewhere. Hey, you want to you wanna get some coke? Everything would be great between the two until it wasn't, until Gerald had that feeling again. She would lie, cheat, and steal children back to the van. Gerald would be waiting, and together they would rape these children for hours. Drive to a secluded area, bludgeon them to death, and bury them. Everything would be great between the two until it wasn't. 
until mm-hmm. Gerald had that feeling again. That fucking feeling. Rhonda Schiffler and Kippy Vaught were the first victims of that feeling. Well, I mean, after Gerald's daughter. The first random victims of Charlene and Gerald's feelings. They were lured away from a county fair, held at gunpoint, turned into sex slaves, and then killed in the middle of nowhere, buried and hidden away from anyone looking for them. And that was the sex slave murders MO, by the way. Um, it was pretty much the same thing every time. The next victims, Stacy Redican and Karen Chipman, same story, went missing from a Sacramento mall. Linda Teresa Augular and her unborn child, well, they were just hitchhiking, gone missing. Virginia Mockle, gone missing after a shift bartending all night. And those are the only victims we know of Charlene and Gerald's feelings. It was Craig Miller and Mary Elizabeth Sowers that would be the sex slave murder's downfall. Not the couple themselves, no, sadly. They would too become victims. Craig shot three times in his heart, all the while ensuring that his girlfriend married that everything would be all right. But things wouldn't be all right. Mary would fall prey to the couple's usual agenda. It was actually Craig's drunk friend that would save the day. Fuck. Charlene lured Mary and Craig to the van. This time, Craig's friend would see Craig going somewhere, and, well, he wanted to go, too. Charlene had the couple at gunpoint and was demanding them to get into the van. Did you go? You to keep partying, man? I want to go. I like some Dukes and Hazards bullshit that brings him down. I want to come. Let me watch. Craig's friend wanted to know where they were going. Like, him, too. Like, where are we going? Craig's friend was following the cocaine. Yeah. Not sure what to do, Charlene cold-cocked him right in the nose and jumped into the van. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, boy. This punch on the nose was enough for Craig's friend to concentrate and memorize the license plate number on the speeding (laughs) van. This license plate number would be reported to police immediately. They knew the jig was up. It was sloppy. They actually, you know, before they went ahead and killed Craig and and Mary, they they, they were pretty much talking about it. Like, yeah, we fucked up. They, Mm -hmm. They got us. Might as well get one last in. Exactly. Might as well just do this one last time. I'm just surprised they didn't kill him, too. Wow. They sped away. Um, Instead of letting the victims go, they did what they set out to do. And and these two were the last, thanks to Craig's friend. The two were apprehended in no time. Charlene, with her parents' money, would hire the right attorneys and get the opportunity to testify against Gerald, who Gerald represented himself, which I always love. Fucking brilliant. She would paint herself to be a victim, one of his victims, actually, ultimately only getting a 16-year sentence. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? For all those suicides. (laughs) Gerald, on the other hand, would get the death penalty. In June of 1983, Gerald was sentenced to death in California. It wouldn't be the gas chamber or the lecture chair to have its last say on Gerald. Unlike his father, he wouldn't be executed. Instead, same thing as the granny. Cancer got him. 2002. Damn, damn. damn. It's bad genes. Uh, Charlene has taken a new name, and she was released in 1997. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, well, why not? Yeah, you might know her. Right. Just hope she doesn't have that feeling again. Damn. Mic drops. I hated that. Man, you hate it. That was a ter- it was a yeah. good story told by you, but that story was rough, man. Yeah, Holy fun. shit. Again, just like all these stories, these are just kind of snapshots. There's a yeah. lot going on there. We could do a whole episode kids, on that. Kids, man. It. That's what that's Yeah. We all got our we all got our things. That's right? the hard part. When you get the kids, it's hard to stomach that. Well, what do we think's around the corner? Last but not least, Brian McCree with Genesis. Love is that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you see that one special person. Or is it that warm feeling on your hands as you wrench the blade free of the bone and the fat while you bat away limp hands so you can line up your next thrust? What makes some of us cross that thin line from love to hate, and do they come back? Should we be worried, Brian? Oh, yeah. Do they still love? Maybe they're aberrations, misfits, one-offs, you know, true monsters. Or maybe that same monster lurks within all of us, waiting, sleeping, until someone... That one special someone wakes it up. Before there can be love and rage, there must be a tale as old as time. Boy meets girl. A chance encounter. On the precipice of one of these chance encounters is where we find a squat, nondescript looking young man named Joe. Joe is 24 years old, fresh out of the Navy, and attending college in the pursuit of a career in law enforcement. 
As Joe walks across the campus on a bright spring morning in 1969, he notices an attractive young woman named Bonnie, a first-year nursing student with hopes of one day attending medical school, but who currently has a large owl on her wrist and a sparrow on her head. He watches her for a while, intrigued. Oh, by- okay, so she's tattoos? That's what I was saying. Tattoos no, are a bird. No, actual birds. She has birds on her? She got birds on her. Damn. Was she a princess? Put a bird on it. She got birds. It's a college. It's a college. Uh, college should have went to college, yeah. You should have went to college. We didn't go to college. <laughs> we don't know. We do a podcast in our 30s instead. I wish, oh, man. I wish I would have got a degree in owls and sparrows. The Avery at the college? Actually, no birds. They're all outside. Aviary. The birds weren't Aviary. from the Avery. She was in the uh, science department, so they were like the lab creatures that she had to take care of. Either way, Hogwarts. so he watches her for a while, intrigued. Not by the birds. She doesn't give a shit about animals, or most women for that matter. But this one, she seems different, clean, not like these other whores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid bitches. She finally feels the weight of his stare and makes eye contact with Joe. What's the matter? Oh, that noise? That's just Joe. Well, not the Joe that's currently sharing a gaze with Bonnie out on the lawn. That Joe, Bonnie's Joe, is striding confidently across the green and striking up a conversation under the warm sun. This Joe? Well, he's prying the screen off the side window of a modest three-bedroom home in suburbia. Ah, Finally got it. He doesn't bother trying to muffle the sound of the breaking glass as he deftly strikes the window with the butt of his small snub-nosed pistol, making a hole just large enough for his arm to reach in and disengage the lock. He's been studying for this night. Goddamn, Joe's breaking into the house? Yeah, Joe's got things to do here, man. He's breaking into this lady's house? No. No, he's just breaking into someone else's There's two Joes here. We We got Joe talking on the lawn and Joe prying the screen off your house. Okay. He's been studying for this night, prowling amongst the bush line, watching as the family inside went about their lives. It's through this study that he knows exactly how long it will take him to get through the window into the master bedroom. Also, how he knows that tonight, his prey is alone. While Joe unlocks the window and lifts it with smooth, practiced motions, let's check back in on Bonnie. After their initial meeting, Bonnie and Joe quickly became inseparable. A few date nights, and the two were officially going steady. Joe was a car nut, and he introduced the sheltered Bonnie to a world of speed, fear, and questionable morals. Joe is a douchebag, dude. Yes. The Navy cop guy that's into cars. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. on. You see the guy we're building here. Fucking character of himself, dude. It's oh, yeah. Fuck <clears throat> him. Real fast. I don't, I don't like cars. <laughs> Joe liked to go fast. Really fast. All the time. So did Ricky Bobby. Hell yeah, brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you first, you last. Shake your bank. The joy rides that would often exceed 100 miles per hour were a constant source of tension within the young relationship. So was Joe's vision of sex. He had taught himself how to orgasm without ejaculating for some fucking reason. Stop. Yeah. Really. Oh, he's one of those freaks. Man, I doubled. would do it to see if anyone noticed. He dropped all the points in that one skill set. Uh, yeah. That's so disturbing. Yeah. So, that, so there's no ejaculate? He would ejaculate just a little bit, feel the orgasm, and then... Two minutes, a couple minutes later, he'd be able to just stay hard. That's so. fucking awesome, dude. I would do it all the time. No, you wouldn't. Because I would come right here talking to you. The problem is, this skill left poor Bonnie to endure hours-long sex sessions. Uh, that and, dude should have got into porn. Yeah. Well, the problem was tiny dick. Oh, oh tiny dick. overcompensation. Tiny dick. Tiniest dick. Tiniest dick you've ever seen in a man. Is it th- that tiny? It's was well, it cute? No, it's, it's too It's notably s- small. Too so. small to be cute. Oh, he has a picture. Yeah. It is cute. It's like a little bean. <laughs> Little button in a fur coat. Hey, little guy. It's like an old man's thumb. Look oh, at it. It kind of follows you around the room. It's like an optical. It's illusion. like that Jesus painting. Yeah. This skill left poor Bonnie to endure hours-long sex sessions. Having had no prior experience in relationships, let alone sex, Bonnie had no real frame of reference for the abuse she was currently experiencing. There was no insertion. It was just fucking skin hitting skin. Either way, it's a dude on top of you holding you down, sweating on you. Oh God, I couldn't imagine me on me. I know. <laughs> me on me. <laughs> That was the worst thing said today. Yeah, this- 
Oh, this is the worst visual I had. <laughs> <Pinky>. <laughs> it's just two shades flopping on each other. <laughs> All right, now it's kind of hot. Ah, <laughs> uh, the true narcissist. So, no. Joe knows she isn't enjoying any of these things. And it's not that he doesn't give a fuck. It's quite the opposite. He fucking loves it. The fear on her face when he takes a turn a little too slow. The pain in her eyes as he flops around on top of her and inside of her. It's fucking priceless. Damn. Fuck oh, Joe. Wait. Oh, shit. Look at that son of a bitch go. Did you see Joe slide in through that window? No? You missed it? Oh, uh, he's still breaking in the house, this uh-huh. Joe. Well, now he's floating through the dark house with the same confidence with which he once strode across the college lawn to talk to a pretty girl. He pauses outside the bedroom and takes a moment to listen to the rhythmic breathing coming from within. He closes his eyes and soaks in the moment. He also takes off his pants. <laughs> well, he broke into a house and took off his pants? Yeah, and now okay. he's standing outside the door. It's difficult with his boots still on, but it's best to keep those on just in case he's interrupted. <laughs> he didn't take his boots off? No. <laughs> well, he doesn't want to get interrupted. Yeah. Well, because if he does... off boots. Yeah. The boots stay on when I break into somebody's it's house. It's a vibe, man. You gotta, you gotta have traction. <laughs> Is he wearing Jinkos? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're actually Levi's, the 501s, dude. Come on. Uh, just, How up. long was he, like, bare-assed on the carpet, just kind of slide the pant leg over the boots? <laughs> if this guy can make himself come whenever he wants. It didn't say he could make himself come. It's just when he com- when he orgasms, he doesn't ejaculate. He holds so he's in. getting all the feeling of the orgasm, but just a little, like, a little flag comes out. I just picture, like, dust. Yeah. I think he was like, just like really... A white, like white sand coming out. <laughs> I think he was just really horny. All the time. Yeesh. Same. Right now, Joe, he's paused outside the door, pantsless. <laughs> he got a chuckle. He said, he said, <laughs> <laughs> so he keeps his boots on just in case he's interrupted. It's happened before, but tonight should be perfect. It's happened before? He's been interrupted before, yeah. Okay. But tonight should be perfect. He's planned for everything. Huffing, almost panting. He can feel the adrenaline hitting him. With numb lips, dilated pupils, and a razor-sharp cock, he reaches for the doorknob. <laughs> Damn. It's razor-sharp and tiny. It could cut a diamond. It could, because diamonds are small. <laughs> In his excitement, he had almost forgotten to grab his flashlight from the loop of his discarded pants. Classic Joe. Classic, <laughs> Classic Joe. <laughs> he chuckles to himself as he reaches down to recover the item. A big fucker, police grade, meant to double as a weapon in a pinch. He decides to leave the gun with the jeans. If she gets rowdy, I'll just pop her in the head with the business end of this flashlight, he figures. I'm surprised he went with the big flashlight, having a little dick. You go with a little flashlight so you don't feel so bad. Gotta get big everything. You don't want a big-ass black flashlight next to your little dick. Well, it's because you got flashy with the light so you can't see the little dick. That's the thing. <laughs> little hands. We need little hands. <laughs> he would not have liked Martha. <laughs> no. <laughs> Martha Beck would not have been his cup of tea. It's just, it just disappears in her yeah. hands. So if she gets rowdy, I'll just pop her with the business end of the flashlight, he figures. Deep down, he hopes she does. Bitch. He repeats to himself over and over again through gritted teeth. He can feel his brain vibrating from the energy. The energy that comes when Joe lets go, when he lets him take over. His hand is steady as he reaches out to turn the doorknob, and his voice is firm when he announces himself after violently kicking the door open. Wait, what the fuck? We're at the window again. No. No, I see now. It's a different window. We're crouching in the bushes, and guess who's here too? The flashlight has been replaced with a 22 caliber rifle, but the look in his eyes is the same. Joe stands up abruptly and walks right up to the window. He knocks real hard. After a few moments, the thin cotton curtain hiding the interior begins to twitch, as if someone is trying to look out without being seen looking out. Finally, the curtain is pulled completely open to reveal Bonnie. Any oh, he's at Bonnie's house? He's at Bonnie's house. Any warmth from the past is gone from her face as she looks out at Joe. It's replaced by fear and maybe disgust. But mostly fear which is understandable considering that Joe is leveled to 22 at her now. Classic Joe. 
classic. <laughs> so Joe is standing outside this one, his girlfriend's house with a rifle? Pointing it at her through the window, yes. Holy shit. What are you doing, Joe? It wasn't enough to torture her with hours of sex without any release. <laughs> hours of micropenis sex. <laughs> just grinding. Pelvis grinding for hours is what you feel. She's like, she's getting no stimulation. just rubbed raw. Just constant mm. chafe. Well, and it was the 60s, 70s, so it was just lots of pubes rubbing on each other. Too, mm. so. Sandpaper. Let's Would that go. be worse or better if they were both? I think it'd be if they were both clean shaved, like just smooth, like a baby. Uh, it'd be worse, right? You're gonna get a rash. Yeah. yeah, it's like real. That's how you get diaper rash. I think you gotta have some hair, man. <laughs> you have to with that. If you're gonna rub, like if you're gonna do it for an hour and a half, you gotta have some hair. You yeah. should just not do it for three or four hours of sex. That sounds terrible. It does sound like it hurts. Come on, let's go. We're going to Reno. He barks at her through the window. She looks on for a few more minutes before turning and disappearing into the house. Holy shit. She just shut the door. <laughs> exactly. Holy shit. She's not going to come out here, is she? We're going to Reno. Let's leave Joe here for a moment to mumble to his gun for a bit and see where she goes. Bonnie's heading for her father's room rather than the front door. She doesn't have the best relationship with her father, but desperate times and all that. Her father, in his infinite wisdom, decides not to jeopardize this bright young man's potential future career in law enforcement by calling the police. Instead, he opts to go outside and talk to Joe, Mistake. man to man. The next and final words Joe ever spoke to Bonnie were as follows. I've listened to all your statements, each one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I've hurt. Joseph James D'Angelo's last statement was given before the courtroom after receiving his sentence of 12 consecutive life sentences. Plus, God damn. Hang on. Plus eight more years because, I guess, dozens of his victims attended his trial and read scathing victim impact statements, including Bonnie. He is known to have committed at least 13 murders, 51 rapes, 121 burglaries across California between 1979 and 1986. He was reported to have repeatedly said the name Bonnie as he sobbed to himself after several rapes. Holy shit. And then I have a list of uh, his aliases, which actually I'd like you to read. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have AKA Veselia Ransacker. That's Visalia. 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 Visalia Ransacker. They, we have the East Area Rapist, East Bay Rapist, Sunset Beach Self Sucker, Creek Bed Killer, Diamond Knot Killer, Chode, like the dick. <laughs> Night Stalker, original Night Stalker, Eron. So wait, one of one of his nicknames was just Chode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Golden State Killer and Baby Dick Boohoo Bitch. And most of those are real. I like that. <laughs> I like that. that was nice. Yeah. Brian, you really took me on a trip there. So that was a Golden State Killer. That was the Golden State Killer. That was his genesis, if you will. Boom. Um, you know, I was just thinking, like, man, I've heard this story somewhere before, and I couldn't picture where I was like, I, is it was it a TV show? What was it? It was that fucking documentary you watched about it. I'll be gone in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. It was but a good one. He was the one that uh, would, like, put plates on the husband, right? Like, rape the fucking wife? Yes, he'd mm -hmm. do it in the other room, and if the plates move or jiggle, then she does. God damn. Okay, guys, let's think about the body count. Cody, we got 10 possible your way. Your Poss way. Possibly, according to uh, Raymond, yes. Uh, summer 7, was it 7? 5. 5, but, 15. But who knows? <laughs> right. Who knows? All those suicides. People be dying every day. Mm -hmm. um, I, mine have 8 who knows. So that's 23. And then we got the whopping. It was 13 confirmed kills. That's confirmed. No victims do exist. We know this is a touchy subject. And yes, this is entertainment. But that doesn't take from away the fact that these are good stories, and we will continue talking about them. And Never victim blaming here? No, we're here to shame the criminal, not to blame the victim. Yeah. Shame the criminal, make fun of them a little exactly, bit. Exactly, because fuck these guys. Yeah. Or women. Or women. Exactly. Or women. I got Thank a you, woman. Thank you, Cody. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's 2023. Thank you. No, you're right. You're right. 
So I'll wrap up our first bonus episode for the year. We will do this annually. Every year we will do a St. Valentine's episode. So, And that's your Hatch and Bar.